0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author Phil Moser. We are continuing our series on the book of Acts. Could you stand with me, please, as we read from Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint By the Hellenists, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Here we see in Acts 6, the church is starting to take off. It is now turbo-powered by the Holy Spirit. And in a very miraculous way, it was growing, and people were coming to Christ, and the gospel was getting into new places. And it's interesting, as you look at what's happening here in Acts 6, you see some patterns somewhat to what we see happening in our church today. I think you can see somewhat of a cycle as you look at Acts 6, 1-7, to the passage that we read, because the passage starts with what? Acts 6-1, growth. The passage ends with what? Acts 6-7. How does it end? Growth. In the midst of that growth, you had some interesting things happen. You see growth, problems, priorities, recruitment, delegation, and growth. All right, so those things. And interesting parallels to our church and things that we can be learning as well. The church was going through some growing pains, which were needed, which were necessary to the development, the establishment of the church, and the things that were to come later on as the Gentiles would come to Christ later in in Acts 10. But these growing pains were happening. And I think we can see some things that parallel to FBC. Let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about growth. Okay, growth. So it begins with growth, it ends with growth. The passage says, Luke says in Acts 6.1, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Increasing in number. The disciples. This is the first time in the book of Acts that we see the word disciple being used. Uh, it's used frequently throughout the book. And interestingly enough, discovered in my studies this week that the word disciple is not found after the book of Acts. And so some commentators have said, okay, is that a special delineation in the early church for a special type of Christ follower? Uh, Leave that to your own study. But the the word disciple means um, to learn by another's instruction. That's what this word disciple means. In my studies this week, I... uh, Realize there was some consensus, consensus among commentators that the numbers of the church were growing so significantly at this point. Because when you look at what Luke is saying in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, he gives some specific numbers. He says a few thousand at this point. He says 3,000 at this point. He says 5,000 at this point. Some commentators believe that at this point in the book of Acts, there was as many as twenty-five thousand believers at this point in the city of Jerusalem and surrounding areas. It was really just taking off. The church was doing what they were called to do. They were born again to reproduce. Born again to reproduce. And they were starting to replicate themselves. It was just a natural thing for a child of God to tell other people about what God was doing in their life. And so many people were coming to Christ. It was a testimony to the fact that Jesus promised that this is what was going to happen. The promise of Jesus that the gates of hell would not be able to stand against the church. And they were seeing that fulfillment right before their eyes. And the gates of hell cannot stand against the message of the gospel. And even though the whole armies of Satan were going up against these believers and the message of the cross, it couldn't stand against the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel breaks through... Every barrier. The gospel, based on 2 Timothy 2 9, cannot be changed. You cannot stop it. You cannot inheed its growth. It goes and goes and goes through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the gospel. And interesting, that's how Paul said to the Corinthians that he came to the Corinthians. He came not necessarily with a convincing message. He didn't necessarily come with great eloquence. What did he came with? He came with a simple message of the cross of Christ, which to the world was pretty foolish. And to the world, it does seem pretty foolish. But man, this church was taken off. This church was growing. Talking about growth Talking about numbers in a church isn't necessarily a problem. Numbers becoming an idol is a problem. Numbers as a badge of honor is a problem. So the command of Jesus was not to go out and get more numbers. The command of Jesus was to go out and share the gospel and leave the numbers to him. Be faithful, share the gospel, and as you do that, inevitably, people will come to Christ. We are in a growth spurt right now in the church. We are seeing more requests for membership, more requests for baptism, more Bible study attendance than we've ever seen, more discipleship groups, more people joining connection groups, And last Sunday at Easter, we had between 900 and 1,000 people here. That's great. That's awesome. And as elders, we are thinking through, what's next? What's next? How do we be prepared for that? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with saying, man, this is exciting. There's a lot of people come to the church. Things are really growing. But can I just be honest with you? Numbers are not necessarily the best indicator of good spiritual depth. The largest church in America seats well over 16,000 people, has 45,000 in attendance each week, and subscribes to a prosperity false gospel. So numbers, multiple services, could mean you are preaching a watered-down, man-centric false gospel. But generally speaking, churches that are sharing Christ live in their faith, see good, godly growth. Where there's growth, something inevitably happens. Problems. (laughs) We got an amen on problems. It's inevitable. With expansion, growth, stretching, you just run into things you didn't run into before. Stuff that you just wouldn't have thought of. New issues, new problems. And it creeps up on you. It's it's like the difference in a church that's got three hundred people versus suddenly six to seven hundred people every Sunday. It's just it's new issues, it's new problems that you you just have to address. And this is what this early church was starting to figure out. It's like, holy smokes, we got twenty-five thousand people that are that are now worshiping Christ, and we've got this whole people group that is missing out on a key element of what's happening with our ministry and we gotta do something about it. This was a real problem that, that this earlier church was facing where the Hellenistic Jews, which were Hellenists who were Jews, they were Jews who only spoke, spoke Greek, they didn't feel like they were being treated like the other people. They didn't feel like they were being treated as equally in the daily distribution of the ministry and the Greek word there for distribution of the ministry, the Greek word there is translated as serving or ministry throughout the New Testament. Now, some commentators, uh, some translations in an attempt to add clarity have added the word food to the text. And if you've got a Bible that's got food in there, it's probably in italics to try to help the text along. The text doesn't need, need that help right here. The basic concept is the daily ministry of what was happening. Some people feel like they were getting shortchanged. And they were. It could be food. It could have been distribution of money. It could have been a combination of both. And it was a tricky situation because it was ethnic in nature. And it needed a rapid solution. And they had to come up with a solution fast. Can I tell you a little secret? We've all got problems. Every church. Every church. Every church has problems. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Every church has problems. We've got some problems. We've got to mature in some areas. And if we do you'll see some significant acceleration happen, I really believe. Like, here's a couple problems. We're a family, let's talk about it. Here's a couple problems. Under half of our members and regularly attending families give. About 42%. That's a problem. Now, we do it We do ministry, full ministry every week. But imagine if everyone started participating in their giving. Imagine how many more missionaries we could support. Imagine how many more staff we could bring on the team. Imagine how many more places we could infiltrate with the gospel in Gloucester County. We regularly have serving opportunities and roles that go unfulfilled. Too many people show up to listen, but aren't participating. These are problems that need fixing. We're trusting the Lord to work in the life of our church, to see these things improve and grow. We don't want to be the ones that guilt you into giving or serving. We really, and as elders, we've talked about this frequently. We want it to be a work of God where God so works in your heart that you're so blessed by what God is doing in your life, you gotta find an outlet to bless other people. Pretty important. So you got growth, you got problems, leads to a great opportunity to identify priorities. Identify priorities. This problem needed immediate attention It could have easily gone to the top, which it did, and stayed there. But the 12 apostles wisely developed another plan. This is what problems allow us to do. It allows us to have a necessary and sometimes quick evaluation of what's supposed to be happening, who's going to do it. There's times in a church crisis where sometimes we have no choice as church leadership to jump in, roll up our sleeves, get involved, and do something. Sometimes we have to do that. Um, This was an immediate need, but this was an immediate need that was not going anywhere fast. It needed a solution, but it needed a long-term solution. The apostles identified their two main priorities as apostles. They said this. It is not right, verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, why this sudden proclamation? Probably because at the end of chapter 5, again, Luke gives this update that the numbers were just growing and people were coming to Christ. And it says at the end of chapter 5 that the disciples were going house-to-house. Get involved in a lot of hands-on house-to-house ministry and it now got to the point where the apostles were like, we don't know that we can continue to do this. We need a shift. We need to reprioritize, refocus. The church had now grown to the point where this had become an impossibility for the apostles. So the apostles refocused and recognized their primary contribution to God's program was two things prayer, and teaching. Helping with ministry distribution was not their primary calling. It's not that it was below them because they had been fully engaged in that. They didn't have an issue with doing it. It just wasn't their primary calling. And and Paul made it pretty clear to Timothy that Timothy, you've got to be devoted to the calling of God in your life. Sure, they could have taken up ministry distribution. But then what would have happened to prayer and preaching? Then what would happen to leading the church? So as believers, as disciples, we have to know what our spiritual gift is. We need to know what our ministry passions are. We need to know how God has led you up to this point and at the intersection of your spiritual gift, of your passions, and where God has led you up to this point, you will know your purpose. God's program goes forward when the disciple is living out his God-given purpose, where we know why we're here, we know what we're supposed to be doing, where I know what my spiritual gift is, I know what the needs in the church are, I know how God has led me up to this point, and baby, I am jumping in with both feet. That's what we need. Where there is growth, you're going to have some problems. Problems give us opportunity to pause and review our priorities, which led them to, very importantly, recruitment. Recruitment. Verse 3, what do the apostles say? Therefore, brothers, look at your Bibles, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Recruitment. Growth should, in theory, more people, more people jumping in to serve. That really is what should be happening. Where there's growth, there's momentum, more people should be jumping in to serve. Thankfully, we are seeing that in our church, which is great. So the apostles asked the disciples to pick from among themselves seven men who could do the work. Okay, now why seven? Interesting, this could be a possible solution. Selecting seven men may go back to the tradition in Jewish communities where seven respected men manage the public business in an official council. Stanley Saint said that. Now, some people believe that this is the start of deaconing in the early church. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's what the scripture teaches here, that this is the start of deacon. Because, first of all, these men are not called deacons in this passage. It says their responsibility was to serve tables. It doesn't say they're an official role of deaconing as we know it today because the church is not organized at this point with elders and deacons. The church is just not mature enough at this point to, to really call it that. And, and as you look at the text, as you look at Stephen and as you look at Philip, which really this passage is a setup for Stephen and Philip, these guys are evangelists, not deacons, but definitely exceptional helpers. Let's talk as a church family, real quick. The default of many churches is that the leadership, the pastors, the ministry leaders, and the deacons, that the default is that they do the majority of the work, which results in about 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. I'm sure you've heard that before. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Can I step on some toes? The Western Church has become a consumer church. We show up on Sunday, we come to a study, we eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and and never exercise spiritually. Many treat church like a buffet. I'm here for one reason feed me. Just feed me. I want to be a fat sheep. Just feed me. We just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And suddenly this fat sheep is not very mobile. Not very agile. It's faulty thinking. It's faulty thinking. Can I step on some more toast? It's faulty thinking that showing up in a large room on a Sunday is church in its entirety. What we are doing right now in this very moment is church partly. Partly. Helping kids in Awana learn their verses is church. Greeting a visitor when they walk in is Church. Helping a car find a spot in the parking lot is church. Decorating for VBS is church. Helping another marriage grow in its its marriage is church. Meeting a financial need is church. Preparing a meal for someone who has a a need is church. But sitting in a large room for 90 minutes thinking that is exclusively church? No. No. No got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's church. You don't actually go to church. You do church. And as fellow believers, we need to stop thinking of church as a noun and treat it as a verb. FBC, stop going to church and start doing church. Church. Where there's growth, there's problems. Problems allow us to review our priorities, realize priorities, move us to recruitment. And when you got the team in place, you got people in the right seats in the bus, the leadership then has an important responsibility, delegation. Delegation, verse six. Look at your Bibles, verse six. These they set before the apostles And they prayed and laid their hands on them. They laid their hands on them. Basically saying, you're identified with us, but this is your job. You're going to do it. We are fully knighting you to do the job. It's you. It's yours. Make it happen. Make it happen. we got other things we're going to focus on. We are fully entrusting you to do it. This is now your task. I think every leadership team struggles with this. I have yet to be in my years of ministry on a leadership team that hasn't struggled with this. With the top doing way too much and having a difficult time delegating stuff to the people that are also a part of their team. You know, as elders, at our last elder retreat, we spoke about this at at length as elders, what our role as elders should be and how we can better equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We have made some changes in how we go about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. We've made changes to empower more teams, to get vetted team members, aka members, and to empower them to do the ministry. Like we just launched an HR team under elder leadership. We have a finance team made up of elders and under a treasurer's leadership. We have robust and highly functioning benevolence teams, women's teams, and men's ministry teams. We've commissioned a facility team just in the fall to start making facility things happen in the church. And have you seen some facility changes happen in the church? This is not a result primarily of the elders. This is the result of the elders saying, we're not going to do it, you do it. That's good. The point is this. In our church, all that we're doing in our church is not the work of the elders, pastors, and the deacons. This is our work. Together. It's our work. Us. Reminds me of our church vision statement, together strengthening you to change your world for Christ. Where there's growth, it's going to be problems. It allows you to review your priorities. Realize priorities move us towards recruitment. And you got the right team in place. The leadership empowers them through delegation. Let's look at verse 7 one more time. What was the result of these things? The church blew up. People got angry. People left. People were disgruntled. Nope. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And check out this little caveat that Luke throws in. And a great many of the priests came to Christ, became obedient to the faith. Wow. It's like... The church handled things in a really God-honoring way. And people on the outside world were like, holy smokes, there's something really cool going on there. And it made such a good representation of Jesus that so many people were now coming to Christ. God's word spread. More disciples being added. Jewish priests coming to Christ. It speaks to the fact, FBC, that when you handle growth pains God's way, He blesses. He blesses. Maybe not ways that we'd write the script, but God promises to bless his church and allow it to glorify him. This passage, really, I think, one of the reasons why Luke put this passage in Acts 6 was not so much to learn about problems in the church, It was because primarily to tell the story of a man named Stephen. A man that God used powerfully in the early church who eventually gave up his life for the testimony of Christ. This passage introduces Stephen to the historical record that we now have permanently forever. And you know what? If it wasn't for the church navigating their way through these issues and the growth they were having and the problems that they had and the leadership they had to develop, if the church didn't navigate those things right and well, this man, Stephen, never would have come on the scene like we know him today. Stephen's That we have seated in here right now. Stevens, like you saw getting baptized, men and women in the tank. Stevens that are willing to say, I will take a stand for Christ. I'll give up my life if needed. I'm not going to be a consumer Christian. I want my life to count for Christ. What a challenge for us as the church, especially in these next weeks as we hear about this passage. May God stir our hearts in the same way. FBC, I hope you are ready by God's grace for what we are doing here to really take off. In fact, talking about the testimony of people, God moving, God working, we are about to get right into that. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you, Lord, for the transparency of your word that, Lord, you don't shield us from problems. You don't shield us from issues that were happening in the early church. You just lay it out real clear. And we, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we can learn from these things. And Lord, may it stir our hearts to recognize the things you're doing here in our church. And Lord, we thank you for the ways you are working in people's lives. God, may the passage this morning not move us towards guilt, not move us towards manipulation, but move us, Lord, closer to you with the recognition that it is an honor to serve Christ. And may we do it wholeheartedly here at FBC. I pray this in Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mollica Hill.